Let's focus our hearts today to the Word of God. Father, we just thank you for our time together here. Thank you for uh, the, the fact that we can come together, hear your Word, uh, hear your word and uh, apply it to our lives in a free, and fa- uh, free environment where it's just such a joy to come together corporately to lift up your name. And uh, give you praises, give you sacrifices of praise, uh, give you our hearts and worship, and just pledge our allegiance to you and to your word and to your agenda, to your mission for this planet, Father. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so for those of you who are here for the first time, for the first time today, or you did, you was, you were not, you was not, almost said it wasn't, you were not here last week, um, uh, we're talking about kingdom economics, a small series about kingdom economics. Now, just so that you know for context, our church don't talk about finances every, every Sunday. Um, we do receive offerings every Sunday, uh, but we use them as a time to just uh, honor God and to worship God with our income. And uh, we don't speak about this often, but every now and then we do take time to just align ourselves to the Word of God concerning our resources. And last week we spoke about about where our hearts are at. Um, how, do, how, many of you, how many of you benefited from that message last week? Let's just see a show of hands. Eh? It was different, wasn't it? Yeah, not the typical uh, you know, message that you would hear about finances. Did I take up a special offering afterwards, an additional offering? Did I, did I manipulate y'all into giving? Uh, all right, so for those of you who are here for the first time, don't clutch your purse. <laughs> <laughs> I am, again, not going to receive a second offering or anything special. This is not an angle to get you to give more than what you intended in your heart to do. But last week, I did speak to our hearts. I did talk about how important it is for our hearts to be those of sons in a household, right? Um, and so I want to ask you, where is your heart at regarding finances? Are you, are you very skeptical, very angry at the church, maybe very like just distrusting toward the church? Maybe you came out of a church that mismanaged their finances and they, or, or, or they enriched themselves. Um, let me tell you, our church is an open book to all of our members. If you want to see what's happening in our budget, what we spend our money on, you're welcome to come and look at it. We live off of 80% of our, of our, of our budget. We save 10% and we give 10%. We try to live the principles that we teach in this church. Pastors are paid fairly, um, our staff are paid fairly, and uh, um, uh, we, are tr- we try to be a blessing, but we try to live within our means, way within our means, so that we always have margin to be able to give, to be able to bless, to be a blessing to our community, because ultimately, this church exists for God's kingdom and God's kingdom's work here. It doesn't exist for me. That's why I always say, this church isn't about me. And we don't build church around individuals or personalities or characters. If I fall away, somebody else needs to be able to just step in here and continue the journey without batting an eye, without skipping a beat. That's how we try to develop. That's why we're raising up leaders. That's why we're creating a culture of discipleship in this church where everybody is called to ministry. Come on. Everybody is called to ministry. You're all called You're all called to make disciples. And in this church, we're going to teach you how to know God, how to get freedom from all the things that hold you back, hurts, hang-ups, and hassles. And we're going to get you going on making disciples because that is the commission of the church, straight from the words and mouth of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so every one of us here have a role to play. And uh, as we all grow into maturity, we're able to, uh, uh, to carry the of a society that needs Jesus to care for, to reach out, to share truth, to help one another, to stay standing as we face the battle out there for our own faith and for our own upkeep. And so I want to ask you, where is your heart at? Because the heart of a son, a healthy son, don't, don't worry that much about how much he has for himself. A healthy son realizes that his dad, if he has a healthy dad, that he's okay. He has access to whatever resources he needs because he is a son in the house. And so I want to ask you, where are you at? Are you living with an orphaned spirit where you have to look after you, where you have to fend for you, where you have to get what you have for you and look after your own 
and, 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 and you've been disappointed by authority maybe and you've been let down, now you're at a place where you fight for yourself and you keep everything else at arm's length. God wants you to be a part of family and in family you have access. In this family, you have access. You have access to me, no matter who you are. You don't have to be here five years before you have access to me. We just have to create time. That's all. But you have access to me. If you want to have a talk with me, come have a talk with me. Let's go have coffee. Vanilla Bean has awesome coffee. We can go there and we can do, I just don't do Rice Palace coffee. I'm sorry. Breakfast, Rice Palace, good to go. Coffee, ah, eh, eh, eh. I, I can't. I'm just telling you where I like to eat, okay? So if you want to, you, you, can, you can find me there in the mornings at times, yeah? Come up, let's talk. Um, you have access. You have access to the leaders. You have access to, to, um, you know, to our care, to our love, to our community, to our wisdom. You have access to our leadership. You have access to our training. You have access to information. You have access if you're a son in this house. You don't have to perform. Even if you didn't do well for the last five years and you're back, you, you have access. Just say that you're back and, 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 you're, and you're in. There's no, there's no condemnation or judgment. Oh, no, 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 no. You first have to go through seven hoops before we're going to let you back in. No. The grace of God is multiplied to you. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And we live with that principle. However difficult it might be relationally, we force ourselves to align with the kingdom's way of life and way of doing because that's the kind of culture we're creating in this family. It's a kingdom culture. You know what's something also about the kingdom? The kingdom is not lacking for nothing. God's kingdom is a kingdom of abundance. It's a kingdom of, of, of it's a thriving kingdom. We sometimes think, oh my goodness, you know, the Muslims, they're winning the race. Y'all, they're not winning the race by far. We're thinking that all these other religions, y'all, Christianity is still the largest, most fastest growing religion in the world. And sometimes we get, we get locked up in our own cultural perspective and we superimpose that on the whole of Christianity. What happens in America in terms of the Christendom does not happen everywhere in the world. The world is thriving and reaching out and grabbing a hold of Jesus and his kingdom. And the Bible says it like this. The, uh, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence because the violent people take it by force. There's literally people forcing their way into the kingdom. People try, breaking through, break away from cultural norms, people breaking out of, uh, uh, of, 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 of political norms and, 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 you know, what their laws and everything dictate to them to get into the kingdom of God because they recognize the holiness of it, they recognize the difference of it, and they recognize the fact that it's the only way unto salvation and eternal life. And so we got to understand that this kingdom is abundant and it's thriving because your view of the kingdom will determine Somewhat of your faith, when you talk about, when you're, when you're trying to access resources and think, oh my goodness, I have to do this. I don't know where this is going to come from because, you know, God is kind of struggling right now. You know, because God must be also connected to the dollar, right? And, and if the dollar is bad and heavy and suffering, then, you know, then God must be heavy, bad and suffering. No, y'all, God's kingdom is so not connected to our economy. In fact, he gives us a way out of our economy, to walk above our own economies. That if we would connect into his kingdom's economy, we would learn to live above the fears, the stresses, the anxiety, the, the randomness of our, human cult, of our human economies. And that is what God wants for each of his sons. He wants us to know, hey, you have access to all the kingdom resources. But if you act like an orphan, you will not come and ask for resources because your whole mindset is that I need to fend for myself and look after myself. God is inviting you in to become a son in the house, a son and a daughter, but you understand what I mean when I say a son in the house. Um, <clears throat> So in Matthew 6, 20, 21, um, we, we read this last week. It says, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. God, as in the, in the Bible, in so frequent a way, connected how we handle and how we view our economy, how we view our finance with our heart conditions. Do I need to do something here? 
Um, and so it's important that we recognize that our, our money does affect our hearts. And so if we can fix our hearts, it'll fix our, our treatment of our finances, our, our resources, right? But the fix has to be here first. Um, once it fixes over here, once my heart is right, then my external behavior changes. You cannot manage, you cannot change your life by changing your behavior. That lasts for but a moment. How many of you have tried to end a sin, stop doing a certain uh, fruit of a sin? Like, you know, how many of you start try to stop cussing or stop uh, lying or, or, or stop cheating or whatever the case may be? And you say to yourself, this time, this time I'm not going to do it when that happens. And then, or how many of you try to stop watching porn? And you go like, this time, I'm never going to do this again. And then before long, you get yourself slipping back into that pattern. Why? Because you cannot change behavior until your heart's condition has changed. That is the, the, the reason why we're not into behavior management. So when you come into this church, we're not going to be on your case for all the things that we see are the fruit of sin in your life. We're not going to be on your case for that. You're welcome here. Why? Because it's no use for us telling you what is wrong and focusing on what you're doing that is wrong because it doesn't help. It doesn't change you. It only offends you. It chases you off, chases you away. But when we can help you see that Jesus has something more for you than what you're currently accepting into your life, when you can see that, man, I can... I can walk above this thing. I can be stronger than this thing. Now something is starting to shift over here. And once your heart shifts to that point, you know, I don't want to be like this no more. I don't want to be subject to that anymore, to that pressure from that temptation. I want to win. Now something is going to start changing externally. Why? Because your heart condition is connecting with the condition of a son of God. And when you're starting to connect with that image of God that is Christ in you, all of a sudden you start living more holy, more righteous. All of a sudden you gain more victory over stresses, over things, temptations, hurts. You become a victorious person as Jesus was victorious. But that's why we're going after the heart first. We want your heart to connect with Jesus' heart. We want your heart to connect with God the Father. Because without that, nothing changes, you see? And so God in the New Testament actually also goes after our hearts. In the New Testament, there's a whole lot of things that change in terms of how God relates to mankind. He doesn't relate to them anymore with a hundred thousand laws of do's and don'ts. No, he takes the heart of stone out of their out of their chest and he puts into them a heart of flesh and you know what that heart of flesh wants that heart of flesh wants God that heart of heart of flesh wants to have intimacy with the Lord wants to have a good relationship with his, with his father and once that heart is in place now the law of God can start get written on that heart Right? It's written on that heart when he puts it in. And you start recognizing, oh, I don't want to do that anymore because the law in my heart tells me that that messes up my relationship with God. When I do this, I don't feel at all happy. When I keep doing this, I, I feel like I'm constantly disappointing God. That law is written on that new heart that he places inside of you. And eventually you just go like, you know what? I'm just going to stop doing this because it gives me no more joy. But what does give me joy is coming into a house of worship and laying it all out on the table. Like singing until my voice goes hoarse because I just love expressing my, my emotions to him. I love expressing my feelings, my thoughts to him, my revelation of him. I love to express it to him. And so today, when we go into the, more of the, the head and the hands of kingdom economics, I don't want you to forget First and foremost, what we spoke about last week, about having the heart of sonship, having the heart of a son. Last week I said that you will find that we preach an incredibly free perspective on finances because we believe that the cross of Jesus changed certain things on how it is to be done. 
But here's the, the reality of the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, also referred to by Old Testament and the New Testament. But you have to be careful because a part of the New Testament is still playing out in the Old Covenant, even though it's in the New Testament. The whole time that Jesus was on earth, he was still operating within the framework that his disciples knew the old covenant. He was introducing the new covenant, but it hadn't come in full effect until his resurrection. And so when, when he says, and when you read the, 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 new, the, the gospels, you have to understand that he's relating to them for where they're at, the old covenant, and he's trying to pull them into a new way of doing things. That's how he always would say, you heard it say unto you. It used to be said this, but I am telling you this. He went and got them out of this old covenant thinkings of right, wrongs, do's, don'ts, to bring them into a relationship thinking where it's now, well, what's going to benefit your relationship with God? What's going to build your intimacy with God? And so that's how he, he's bringing them into the new covenant. So the law that was there was given to the Israelites, the Mosaic law. Um, it's okay. I don't need the web right now. I got this. Man, she talks in the weirdest of times at times. Like sometimes it's hilariously funny. Um, um, what was I saying? Okay. So the law pointed people to the need for a savior. The law's purpose was to help people understand that you cannot obtain righteousness by yourself. It's impossible. It pointed people to the need for a savior. Um, it was a shadow of the reality. Obeying the law was a shadow of obeying Christ. But walking with Jesus through the Holy Spirit inside of you, that was the reality that God always meant for us to do, to have. But in the same way, the laws on giving in the Old Testament was pointing us to the need of having to live with generosity. Because of the nature of this world, we'll talk about that in a second, it pointed us to the need to give. But really, truly, what was in the Old Testament communicated through obligation, duty, and punishment if disobeyed in the New Testament is the, that was the shadow. What is the reality? The reality is that in my heart of hearts, I want to give to God, to his people, to people outside of his church. It pointed to the need for doing that, but the reality of this is walking in it from an internal desire, not an external obligation. And so it is important that we realize just as we cannot use our freedom from the law as an excuse to sin, we cannot use our freedom from the, from the curse of not giving to, to give us a license to, to be stingy. Because if, if you don't obey the law, right, and, 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 and you continue to sin, it won't condemn you to hell anymore because of your faith in Jesus Christ, but it will Break your relationship with God. And it will make you fall out of intimacy with Him. And you will drift away from the Lord not knowing how and where to go from there. Your life will be destroyed because you're not obeying the Lord. Consequences. Not because God makes it happen, but because of the natural consequences of disobedience. Right? And the same with stinginess. If you take the freedom of not having to be cursed when you don't give and you become stingy, what you're sowing is nothing. And from nothing comes nothing. And so instead of maintaining, you'll actually go back. Financial destruction, financial lack will be what you harvest because that is the nature of our reality. There are consequences, and that's why we, we in the new covenant, we don't, we don't do this from a fear of God cursing us. We do it out of the wisdom that he put these things in place for us to prosper. He wants more for you than he wants from you. 
But in order for you to experience the reality of his kingdom, you have to walk in the ways of his kingdom. God's patterns produces God's product. He's not going to bless your pattern because he has a pattern. And he wants you to align to his pattern. So I want to give you guys some principles today to motivate generous giving. Okay? To motivate generous giving. It's going to be some head and some hands. We spoke about the heart. Today I want to talk about the head. I want to talk about the hands. Give you a bit of knowledge, understanding, and then I want to give some practicals. Okay? The first point. In the new covenant, giving is motivated from desire, not from obligation. From honor, not, from, not to pay a debt. The fact is, when the new covenant, we pursue blessing, we don't try to avoid a curse. That's a huge difference. Because that means I can come and bring joyfully to the Lord. I don't have to wonder, oh my goodness, is this going to be good enough? Is this enough? Is this enough? Is this enough? No, I can bring what I determine in my heart I can give, and I can bring it with joy, and I can expect God to receive it and bless it. That's the difference. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. If you're pursuing something with faith, there's joy and peace about it. But if you're trying to avoid something, there's fear, intimidation, condemnation, manipulation, all those things. Nobody wants that, right? All right. Read you another scripture. 2 Corinthians 8. It's going to sing on me soon. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7 says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, in all earnestness and, our and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And the context there is giving to the work of God. This is huge. We're in pursuit of everything that God has for us. We're not trying to avoid punishment. We're in pursuit of things that he has for us. In other words, it is a forward-looking, joyful expectation that we connect to our generosity, our giving. But this means that if you are in the financial position right now where you can't yet give a full 10%, you don't have to live under the condemnation that, oh my goodness, I am robbing God. And I am stealing from God. You can bring what you can bring with a good heart to the Lord. And expect Him to, to receive it and to put His blessing on it and to increase you in it. There is no longer a curse connected to not giving a full 10%. I'm going somewhere for those of you who are completely concerned about what I'm saying right now. Just follow me. You're not in debt to God anymore. You're not stealing from Him. And He's not mad and going to cause all kind of hardship and all kind of calamity to come on you because you're not complying to His financial prerequisite of giving. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12, 8 verse 12 says this. It says this, for if the readiness is there, we're talking about a heart condition. I want to give to God. It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I've heard people go into debt just to be able to pay 10% to God. That's completely unbiblical. Completely unbiblical. It's acceptable according to what the person has, not according to what he does not have. And so be released from this fear 
and this condemnation that if I don't give a full 10% of my income to God, that he is going to curse me and that he is going to be mad at me. Be completely released from that. God wants your heart to connect to his house. He wants you to become a son in his house. And for those of you who've been around, you know when we talk about sons, we're not referring to being to gender. We're referring to belonging. We're referring to father-child relationship, but a mature relationship. Okay? And, and the Bible calls a difference between being a child of God and being a son of God. And it talks about that understanding that uh, I am growing in my faith and as I'm growing in my faith I'm also growing in my understanding of the mission of the house and I get to become a part of the responsibility of fulfilling the mission of the house God is inviting you into that mature child relationship with him Acts 20, 35 says this, In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we, help, uh, uh, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said himself, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You see, we, we, we labor hard in, in, in so many things, but when it, when it comes to our finances, we, we kind of start fearing. There's so many questions around it. And, 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 and then we want to draw back to, you know, just either living in denial, because let's be honest, some of us haven't been giving at all, and find justification for why I don't have to give, or we try to just live long enough until we work our way back to that, and our ultimate goal in life is just to reach that 10%. I hope that after today, we can walk free of both of those mentalities. Just trying to deny and live with this negative mindset toward giving or the slaver mentality. I just, I just need to work harder so I can get to that 10%. The second point I want to make is in the new covenant, the first one, in the new covenant, giving is from desire, not obligation, to honor not to pay a debt, to pursue a blessing, not to avoid a curse. The second point is that in the new covenant, giving is motivated because whatever you sow is what you will reap. And that's why, why the, the, tithe, the law of the tithe pointed us to the need for giving because this world was created as a cause and effect environment. Cause and effect. Say that, cause and effect. In other words, there needs to be an initiating cause for there to be a responding effect. That's why you have to, the Bible says, if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. But somebody has to initiate. This is a cause and effect world. And so in reality, our design is set and we cannot escape our design. If you sow bad things, you will reap bad things. And if you sow nothing, guess what you'll reap? Nothing. Nothing is also a seed. Because it's about what's going on in your heart. Withholding is actually planting a seed of nothingness. That results in a harvest of more nothingness that comes back to you. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For if you sow to your own flesh or stinginess, you will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And this goes to more than just finances, but it also includes our resources. So let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Back to 2 Corinthians 9. It says here, He who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing 
and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God wants to enrich us in every way, body, soul, spirit, so that we can be generous in every way, body, soul, spirit. But God truly wants his character of generosity and of abundance to flow and to shine through each and every one of his children. But so often when we look to our own pocket, we go, oh, I just don't have enough right now to show forth God's abundance and his, and his blessing. And, and, and when we don't learn how to tap into the kingdom's economy, we will live like that for the rest of our lives. Because the more we focus on our ability, the less we will follow God's way of doing things. Because God always asks us to do things that are not based on our ability, but he always asks us to do things based on his ability in us. That's why this whole walk with God is a walk of faith. In him telling you, go make disciples, there's a part of that that you can never do. You can never make somebody believe in Jesus. And so he's asking you to do something that you can't do. But until you initiate, until you go and have the conversation with somebody, until you, 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 you try to explain to somebody why you believe and why he ought or they ought to believe, you're not initiating that seed sowing moment that can produce a harvest of that person's thinking, shifting slowly but surely and coming to the understanding that, you know what, God is real. He does love me. He is a good God. And it is okay for me to risk starting to believe in him. All of that starts with somebody risking to do something that he full well know he cannot do. But that is the call of the kingdom of God. And so it is also with our finances. If God calls you to do something with your finances, it's probably going to be something that you cannot do right now. But he asks you to start. Begin somewhere. And then what it says here is that he has already given you something that was supposed to be seed that was supposed to be sown. And if you didn't sow your seed and you ground it up and you make the bread and you ate that bread and right now you don't have any seed, we're going to ask God for some grace over you today and ask you to, again, give you some seed to sow. But it's going to be a, an act of faith. Lord, I have some that I thought was going to be for bread, but you know what? Since I ate my seed, I'm going to take this and I'm going to sow this. And I'm going to trust you that in time it will produce a harvest. So that I can become enriched in every way. So that I can be a blessing in every way to other people around me. It's the principle of knowing that we live in a cause and effect environment. And if I don't sow, I won't reap. And see, 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 God could have kept that law in place. But rather what he wants is he wants us to, from relationship and from trust, understand that this is how he created this place. And then want to obey, not because there is a, a, a curse that's going to, you know, you know, punish me for not obeying. But he gives me that freedom to decide whether I want to increase or whether I want to decrease. He gives me that freedom. But you have to be responsible, therefore, and realize that, yes, the freedom is yours, but, okay, you have to prepare for the future now. It is required of you to act in your faith. It can't just be, okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. Because this world's whatever will be, will be is always weeds and thistles and hard like you know work and degradation and destruction that's what the whatever will be will be is of this world it's natural to this world so if you're just going to go oh whatever will be will be then that is what will be but he gives us a way to to come across 
to overcome that. This world is through our faith that leads to obedience, that leads to us following how he designed this place and allowing him to enrich us through our obedience. The third principle is what I call the measure principle. Okay, It's the measure principle. There are three points to it. It's the measure of size, the measure of proportionality, and the measure of regularity or rhythm. This is a very important one. Okay, First one is in Luke 6.38. It says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. For the same measure you use. So always think of a measure as a container. So if I have a container, and let's say this was, um, how much is this? 16 ounces. This container can only take 16 ounces. But if I sowed everything that was in this container, the same measure I used to sow will be the measure that is used to give back to me. But this time, it's going to come back. Press down, shaking together. It's going to be running over, and it's going to be put into my lap. But it's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the principle of the size of the measure with which I use. That measure is going to be used to measure back to me. But it's going to be way more than that. It's going to be running over like, like you know how you, how when you, when you, when you, when you put something in something, there's always air space in between, but now it's going to be pressed down. It's going to be shaken together. It's going to make sure everything inside is out so that it can take as much as it possibly would be able to take. And then it's going to run over and it's going to be pressed into your lap. But there is a point to be made about the measure that you use. The second one is proportionality. You know, that's where percentages come into play. And you know what it's often found? It's found that it's not the rich that gives the most. It's often people that are um, not as rich. And sometimes even people that are of uh, little means that are the most generous. Why? Because God sees proportionality. A person who earns $20,000 a year and gives a $1,000 gift to something is proportionally way more generous than a person who earns 200000 a year and gives a $1,000 check to something. God sees proportionality. And so you got to realize that when you bring what you have to bring, God sees what you bring. Man might not see what you bring in its entirety, but God sees what you bring. That's why Jesus praised the widow that brought two little cents. Because she gave almost everything she had. In fact, it says she did give most everything she had. But the rich come and they drop their big notes in there. But proportionally, it's not even close to what that widow gave. So you've got to understand that there is a principle of measure. God sees your gift in a way different light than people see your gift. And then there's the measure of regularity. Let me, let me read a scripture here. It talks about 2 Corinthians 9, 6. It says, the point is, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But you have to understand what means sparingly to you. And what bountifully means to you is different from what it means to another person. $100 might be bountiful giving to you, whereas for $100 for another person might just be, I mean, that's just pocket change. But don't think that God sees that $100 the same. Because God honors proportionality. He honors where that gift comes from. For you, that is a bountiful gift. And it will, it will have a bountiful harvest. You see how God works with our hearts more than he does with the actual you know, face value of things? There's the measure of regularity. It's a rhythm. Listen to what Ecclesiastes. This is Old Covenant, but the principle stands in the New Testament, and I'll show you where. It says this, he who observes the wind will not sow. In other words, if you look at your reality right now, you might think, like, I can't give anything, right? But he who looks at his reality will not give. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. 
In the morning, therefore, sow your seed. In the evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. It talks about being regular with your sowing. Sometimes we think, okay, you know, one day when my ship comes in, I'm going to give big. I don't know about you, but I have almost never heard of people's stories starting with, you know what, my ship came in, and so I gave big. In fact, most of the times when people win through the lottery or stuff like that, you know, which, I mean, I've got my opinions about that, but the bottom line is, they don't give. They go in spending sprees, and more of those, you know, quick millionaires than not end up being on the street or at least just like completely out of their funds within a couple of months, 18 months to two years than, than those who stay and, and, and make wise investments with it. It's not about how much money you got. It's about where your heart is at and what your, what your head has been taught to do with that money. Here's where it echoes in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul is saying to this church, as I've directed all the churches, be regular in your giving. Whenever you get income, give don't wait till one day when you have a ton to give and give that almost never happens and guess what in the meantime you're sowing nothingness sowing nothingness and you wonder why you never get to that place where you can't give anything it's because you're just whole time waiting on a harvest that will come in for seeds that you never sowed in the new covenant we work on this measure principle we give and we expect back and we expect God to abundantly bless. But there is a measure principle. There is a proportionality principle that, that we understand that gives us the freedom. But it also gives us to the understanding of why when I sow, don't I just get a million dollars? And then there's the regularity one that talks about preparing not just for one harvest, but preparing for perpetual harvest. How nice wouldn't it have been if we had sown in every season past and now live in the harvest of the seeds that we have sown. And while we're harvesting, we're planting again for the following seasons. And can you see the momentum that will start building in your life and how God will increase you gradually? The fourth point honor the house this is a little practical hear me out on this one in the new covenant giving is motivated to honor the house making the primary place to give your local church this is a matter of obedience because it's also a direct instruction galatians 6 verse 6 it says this let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches let the one who is taught the word share in all good thing with the one who teaches. This house teaches us. In our church model, that doesn't refer to me. That refers to the house. Why? Because we have life group leaders that invest in y'all. And you know what? Because of the way our church has been giving, we have always been able to make life group resources available free of charge to everybody. In this church, our leaders take care of people. And you know what? Because of how you've been giving, oftentimes our church have been able to pay for people's rent, for people's, like, you know, for, for, for electricity, for things when people fell into a moment of, 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 of you know, um, something got lost or broken or whatever. We were able to step in and help because this house has been amply, amply supplied for 
And that's why giving to the house is one of our primary places to give. In fact, I would say if you are not in the place to give at least 10% of your income into God's work, then give all you have first to the house that you are a part of. Let me ask you this. What does it benefit you if the house suffers? What does it benefit you if this place cannot provide resources, cannot provide leadership resources, cannot provide training, cannot help, cannot care? It, it, it benefits nobody, nothing. And so as God blesses you and He increases you and your harvest comes in and you're able to start giving more than 10%, let the beyond 10% go to anywhere you want to. But start by honoring the house that cares for you, honoring the house that prays for you, that labors for your spiritual growth, that responds when you are in need, that responds when you go to the hospital, that responds when you are falling uh, you know, out of sorts. Honor the house first. It's a matter of honor. It's recognizing this place labors for my soul. And because of their heartfelt labor, I'm going to be a blessing first back to this place before I give to TV preacher that promises you something that he can never give you. Galatians 6 verse 10 says it this way. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. You know, as y'all's giving increases to this church, we'll be able to employ more pastors that reach more students, that reach more youth, that reaches more, that leads more um, of our processes more effectively. You know, we often thank y'all for your generosity and we often motivated by things that we do external to this church. But if this church can't keep running, then we can't do any of those external things that we so love doing. And so there has to be a place in our hearts where we love the house that we're a part of and where we honor that house for what it has meant for us and what it is doing outside of us for our other church members. Romans 12, 13, again, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Malachi 3.10, this part of that verse I still agree with. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. A house that has no food is a house that loses people. People need to be fed. So the only way that this house thrives is if people buy into what this house is doing, the vision, the culture of this house, the heart of this house, and they make their primary place of giving this house. The last principle is the generosity principle. And it's basically do unto others as you would like them, like them to do unto you. If you lived with a closed hand, others' hands will be closed towards you. If you store up treasures in heaven by giving, then God will bless whatever you've given and in a harvest back to you. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing unto God. Do not neglect to go do, do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And then the Bible actually speaks to those who are of, um, you know, um, higher means, who, who have a lot of wealth. And, um, and I think it's because most often, um, you know, that principle of proportionality hits us when we become wealthy. It doesn't necessarily hit us that bad when we are not that wealthy. Because it looks way more difficult to drop a 5,000 check than it looks to drop a 500 check. But proportionally, they might mean the same thing. And you got to understand this. That usually your harvest responds <laughs> to your giving. And if you, if, if you want to continue to be entrusted with the measure of wealth that God has entrusted you with up till now. 
You need to prepare for the future seasons to come with the same generosity, the same measure and size as principle as the ones that brought you to where you are right now. It'll be a mistake on your part to go, oh, I have arrived, so let me just tap off and now throw small change at the kingdom. That'll be a mistake on your part. Because what it means is that you're going to consume everything that was meant for seed to be sown back into God's work. And that means that God can no longer trust you with that amount of wealth. And sure, the grace of God might last. But you know what? Sometimes I think people's, God's blessing on people have, have, actually, have actually stopped. But because they are of such great wealth and means... They don't even realize it because they become so self-sufficient. And because of that, the Bible talks to the rich. In 1 Timothy 6, it says, For the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides everything for us to enjoy. This is important. So often, people are made to feel guilty for what they have. The Bible doesn't even make you feel guilty for what you have. The Bible says God gave you that to enjoy. So enjoy your wealth. Buy your boat. Buy your camper. Buy whatever you want. Go and enjoy it. Have fun. Be generous with it. But don't forget the principles that brought you where you are right now. And don't forget that it was the grace of God that brought you there. So honor Him in the fact that He has given you a lot to be responsible for. They are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of, what, uh, of that which is truly life. So today, my encouragement to you, don't be condemned by the fact that you're not able to give 10% yet, but start giving something. Give it regularly. Be faithful with it, what you give. Make an amount that you feel comfortable with with giving. Start giving. Everybody has something to give. If it's $5, listen, your $5 has a proportion to it. Don't look down on your $5 because proportionally it might mean more than somebody's 50 but start giving that five because God wants you to grow out of this season of lack. He wants you to prepare for a harvest. He wants more for you than he wants from you. You can never outgive him. He is dad. He is dad. And if like son, you receive what he says, you have access to the whole house. And when there's something that you want, you tell him that. And he says, great, let's work toward that. But keep the faithfulness as you trust him to enable you to do that. Don't take from your harvest by using your seed that you have now to buy a boat. That's dumb. Why? Because boats don't ride without fuel. And you're going to need dough to buy fuel. So prepare for those future rides by keeping that seed where it belongs. In the ground of the kingdom of God. Use your freedom to start preparing for the harvest. Don't despise your small beginning. Let joy and faithfulness drive your measure. What can you joyfully bring to God? And remember, when your harvest starts coming in, don't forget to increase your proportionality. Otherwise, you'll just stay where you're at. Don't be restricted by the 10%, therefore. If you're able to give more than 10%, give more than 10%. The giving was what gave, got you to this place of being able to give more than 10%. Don't be afraid to do that. God wants to increase you, so keep increasing your measure. Lastly, let love and gratitude and a generous spirit determine your measure. 
And remember to honor the house that labors for you. And I emphasize, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the fact that this house can provide for its people, provide for its leaders, provide more people that are able to do things more efficiently and help us to reach more people. Honor the house. Excuse me. Then you will prosper and benefit from everything inside of it. People who say I can never afford, I cannot afford to tithe. Um, uh, um, um, I can't afford to tithe. Um, just don't realize that it's 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 locked up in these these mindset of either trying to justify why I shouldn't be asked to give, um, or that place where they're like, you know what, um, I'm trying. I was working so hard, but I just can't get there. Neither of those positions is what God desired for for all of us. But here's something that you really need to understand. You'll never be able to, to tithe until you start to give. If you're not in that place now, the response needed is first from you, not first from God. It's first from you to respond to what he asked you to do that is impossible for you to do by saying, Lord, I'm going to give something. I'm going to give it consistently. I'm going to start giving in my house. I'm going to think like a son that whatever I need will be added to me because that's what the kingdom is. This is kingdom order. Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the things will be added to you heavenly father we come today and ask that you would quicken this word in our hearts lord god that we will be free from this this manipulative um mentality of having to give to avoid you cursing us or being mad with us uh, Lord, help us to break free from that today. Lord, help us to to grab a hold of the principles of kingdom economics and start using them so that they may enrich us so that we can be rich blessings to those around us again. Lord, help us to align our hearts to your motive, to, to what you desire to see through your church to take place, to, 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 to be achieved. Help us to align our hearts to that so that we will be generous toward our church. That this house might be able to be a blessing to to us and to those outside of this place. Lord, we want to say that we're, we're willing to try. We're willing to try and to trust you. Because you are our father after all. And Lord, we want to we come back into the house and live like sons who have a house. Live like sons who have a covering, who have a dad. Live like, like children who knows the dad is there if anything goes wrong. And that I don't have to work and perform to, to get dad to provide and to help out when there's a crunch. I can assume and expect my dad to come to my aid when I need him because I've chosen to live in his house. I've chosen to live by his house rules. I've chosen to to accept his help and his guidance and his leadership. So for those of you who find this this message difficult, I want to just invite you, why don't you just start your journey by just saying to God, Lord, teach me how to live in your house and by your house rules. Teach me how to be a son again. Teach me how to live like a child in your house again. I've forgotten what it feels like to be a child in your house. 
I've had to fight for myself for so long that I've started fighting you. And all I really want, Lord, is I really, really, really just want to be a son and a daughter in your house. Why don't you start your journey there and see what God will do for you? Because you see, even if you don't give, (laughs) this is the craziness of God's grace. Even if you don't give, you're still his child. (laughs) You're still loved and you're still valued and you're still believed in. God, help us to just relax in you. Help us to receive you. Thank you for your scandalous grace, Lord God. But I pray, Father, that today here, many will start trusting. Many will step out and act on these principles so that they can get out of the holes that they're in. They can get out of the out of the mentalities that they're in, the fear that they're in about our economy and what's going to happen to their investments. Get out of the, the mindset of this world that it's it's all about me and it's all up to me. Step into your kingdom and start preparing for a glorious future with you. We expect you to move on every seed that is sown into your house, into your kingdom here today. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.